Amen. I tried to think of a passage that had a lot of names. And um, I want to say it is a joy to be here, and it's been a privilege to be Tommy's friend. I thought we were cousins till we were, I don't know, 12 or so. I mean, it was just a good, tight family friendship. And I'm grateful for friendship and grateful for family. And I appreciate um, his desire throughout this month, of course, focusing on family, but not just family. There's something special about second-generation Christian. And uh, first of all, I'd say it's a joy. It's a privilege to be raised in a Christian home and uh, to see the examples. It doesn't mean our homes are perfect. It doesn't mean as parents we make all the right decisions, uh, but we strive to point our children to the Lord. And, of course, uh, that ought to be all our desire. And we just pray that our children catch that fire for serving the Lord and make the same commitment to serve the Lord uh, that we have made. In 1 Samuel chapter number 26, okay, if I move this, I should have asked that ahead of time. I don't want to put you on the spot. Um, But in 1 Samuel chapter 26, as we read, I want to start this message. I feel like I need to give a warning um, that this is one of those messages that I like to call a shotgun message. And that it's probably going to affect everybody in a little bit different way. It's kind of broad. Um, It uh, covers a lot of ground, a lot of relationships. Uh, But let's face it, family is an interesting uh, dynamic to life. And if you don't learn to love each other, it can be uh, pretty difficult. It can be a miserable life. And if you don't learn to accept each other's weaknesses and failures and to help each other and love each other through it, Uh, then really it just becomes a bitter place and a hateful place. And we know that that certainly is not God's desire for our homes and for our families. In this portion of Scripture, for some time now, Saul has been after the life of David. And I don't mean after him as in wants to ask him a few questions. I mean, he wants the life of David. He wants him dead. He has... Tried to kill him many times. He sent his men after them many times. In fact, he has a problem with the spear. Uh, you read it a couple times and you realize this guy has a problem. One, he can't keep his spear in his hand. And two, he's a terrible aim. Uh, he never, he never hits who he's throwing it at. Uh, but in, think about this. I mean, we were raised with, um, you know, manners around the table. There were six children in our home and there were three boys, three girls. My, Parents had a table when we were older. They had a table that sat two people on each end. Mom and dad would sit on one end, and we lived close to my grandparents on my mom's side. So this was Sunday afternoon. Mom and dad on one side, grandma and grandpa on the other. And this table fit six chairs on one side. So it had six chairs for the children and six chairs for the spouses. I mean, this is a dining room table. And uh, But we were taught manners. But could you imagine somebody getting angry and launching a spear across the table at somebody? Well, that's what Saul did. I mean, in his anger, constantly, he is after David. He gets jealous. He gets bitter. He gets angry. Use whatever word you want. He loses loses control, and he throws his spear at him. Well, at this particular moment in our passage, in 1 Psalm chapter 26, Saul is looking for David once again. He has him what many would say on the run in that David is not in camp with them, but uh, Saul gathers up his men and sends him on his way, and they are in a mission to find David and to kill him. I want us to go back, if we could, uh, go back to verse number two. Let's just refresh ourselves with just a few of these verses. So we see this idea, David is out, Saul is about to go and try to find him. Verse 2, Saul arose, went down to the wilderness of Ziph. We see how many men he had with him, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him. And here is the whole purpose, to seek David. I mean, everything that they're about to do is for one purpose, and that is to get David. Why are we taking these men away from their families to find David? Why are we putting the resources into this journey, the food and the water and the campings? I mean, they end up staying the night, so there's resources involved. Why are we putting so much into this? Because we want David. I mean, that's really the heart of of this journey. Saul wants David, and he wants him now. Verse number 3, Saul pitched in the hill of uh, Hekilah, which is before Jeshaman, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness. I love picturing the Bible. I don't know if you like to do that. I like to 
picture what is happening in my mind when I read through Scripture. And here in this, we see, we know, of course, David, and he has some of his men with him. And, and they look out, and the Bible tells us that David sees Saul coming after him. So from David's vantage point, he sees Saul and his men. I mean, it's a rather large group. It would be hard to miss. There's 3,000 of chosen men with him. They're making the journey, but it approaches evening. Now, David is standing back and he sees this. It's approaching evening and he sees them maybe even pointing and there's a little valley so that Saul can sleep in the valley and the men up a little bit higher to provide some protection uh, for, for Saul. And so they're standing back and they're watching these 3,000 men. They're making camp. They're making night. And so David sees this. Well, then in verse number four, David sent out spies and understood that Saul was coming very deep. So that tells us that initially David had his suspicions, but he sent some just to make sure. By the way, that's a pretty good lesson. Jumping to conclusions can be a pretty dangerous thing. And so in, in, even among family, and let's keep it focused on our families here, jumping to conclusions and what the Bible calls the sin of presumption is still a sin. And so he, instead of just assuming this and guessing it, even though he would have been right, he sends some spies just to make sure. And so that's what happens in verse number four. Verse number five, David arose, came to the place where Saul had pitched, and David beheld the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of the host, and Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched round about him. So there's a little bit of a trench. Saul and Abner are there. The men are up high. They're trying to be safe, trying to choose a, a good place to spend the evening. Well, then David starts up a conversation with his men. As they see this, he knows now, he sent a spy, he knows that they're coming to kill him. Verse number 6, David starts up a conversation. He says to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, two men here, um, who is the son of Zariah, brother to Joab, and he says this, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? Now, this kind of takes me back to high school days, but everybody needs a friend like Abishai. I mean, everybody needs that buddy that's like, sure. You know, why not? Let's go for it. You're going, I'm going. Well, we could get in trouble. Yep, we'll see how fast we can run. I don't know. I, I, I certainly don't tell all my children all of my high school stories. In fact, if you ask them, I never did anything wrong all through high school years and just lived a perfect Christian life. That's my story to them, but I'm pretty sure they don't believe it. Because they have my genetics, I think, and they know what that leads to. So Abishai says at the end of verse number six, I'll go down with you. You know, let's do this. You know, let's let's go. Verse seven, David and Abishai come to the people by night. Uh, they says, uh, came to the people by night and behold, Saul laying sleeping within the trench and his spear stuck in the ground, his bolster. But Abner and the people lay around about him. They get all the way down there and they they scope it out. They see where Saul is. I mean, that's quite an accomplishment in the middle of three thousand people. I mean, I think we would all agree with that. This is, this is quite a feat here. As he goes in, he finds exactly where Saul is. And it's not like he had a big banner up and says, the king is sleeping here. In fact, it was the opposite. They tried to blend him in and, and to mix him in. So through all of this, they find where Saul is and they find his spear that is laying there. And, and they put together this Kind of a plan. So they have a conversation and jump down to verse 11. Let's just skip through a little bit of this. Abishai, being the type of friend he is, is like, let me, let me stab him one time. I mean, let me, he even says, I won't do it twice. Just let, just let me get the spear and I'll thrust him through once and then I'll stop. This, this is the logic. Everybody, did I say everybody needs a friend like Abishai? This is his logic. Just, I'll just do it once. Let me, let me add him one time. That's how we think he may have been a pastor. Just let me have him one time. That's all, that's all we need. Well, in the midst of all this, jump down to verse 11. David, of course, being the man of character, the man of integrity, a godly man, reminds him, the Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. However, he does recommend something else. He says in verse 11, But I pray thee, take now the spear that is at his bolster. 
and the cruise of water and let us go. Verse 12, David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster and they go away and no man saw it, neither knew it. Well, why was this quite an accomplishment? It says they neither awaked and here's the reason, because a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. You get the Lord involved, some pretty amazing things can happen. I mean, you get God in the middle of it, and even miraculous things like this can happen. Well, of course, this is an amazing thing, but we have the same God that can silence or that can close the mouth of lions when someone is put in. So you get God in the middle, and things like this can happen. And and so this is this is the story of how it unfolds. So we end up with David and Abishai and his men over here, and Saul and his men are still there, and morning comes. But as morning comes, they are missing something. They are missing the spear of Saul. Now, I can say this. I don't blame David for taking the spear. I mean, I only want a spear thrown at me so many times, which my number is zero. But David here is right to say, take the spear. He hasn't used it properly. He's not controlled. He has this issue with this spear. And so I'm going to take this spear away from him. Well, through the next several verses, there's a conversation that takes place between David and Saul's men and Saul. And and there's this conversation that takes place saying, I have your spear and the Lord allowed me to get in and, and all of these things. Well, then we come to verse number 21. In verse 21, then said Saul, I have sinned, return my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. I want to ask a question. Let's check your Bible knowledge here at Liberty Baptist Church. How many believe Saul? Not a chance. But he says all the right words. I mean, he says it right. And, and I mean, he says, I have sinned. That's a good thing to say, right? Because he had. He was wrong. He says, I have sinned. And then he says, did I not do harm? I won't do it anymore. I think that's a good thing to say about sin. Wouldn't we all agree with that? I mean, how many times in our own life have we said, God, I really don't want to fall to this anymore. And so not only forgive me, but help me to get victory over sin. This is our prayer. This is our desire. And, and this is the, these are the words of, of Saul. And he even goes on to say, my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. I mean, he says everything right. But I'm with you on this. I don't believe Saul for a minute. I don't even think he's sorry. Just to tell you the truth. Based on several things, of course, we want our reasoning to be Scripture. But if I'm David, I certainly don't believe him. Because David has already heard this before. This is not the first time that Saul told David, I'll not hurt you. This is not the first time that Saul said, I'm, I'm sorry I have sinned. This is not the first time that he has said, told David, you are a better man than me, and God is going to bless you for your righteousness, and I am wrong, and I am sorry, and I'm not going to bother you anymore. He's heard all these words before. He has heard these words many times in his past. So it was not the first time he'd apologized. It's not the first time he'd said he was sorry. And it was not the first time that he said he would never do it again. But I want us to look at what happens after this apology. Have you ever been apologized by someone you didn't believe? Have you ever had somebody say, I'm sorry, and you think, no, you're not? Have you ever had somebody say, I'll never do it again, and in your mind you think, they're going to do it again? I mean, this is life. And truth is, if we're going to be honest, somebody has probably thought that about you too. If we aren't sure, we could start questioning parents. How many times, even yourself as a child, did your parents say, say I'm sorry, and you said the right words? I'm sorry. And then they say, no, look at them and say, I'm sorry. You know why they say that? Because they didn't believe you the first time. And in family, we experience this more than other relationships. 
Because when you live with somebody and you're around somebody, you do find each other hurting each other, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And when we hurt people, there is an apology. And when we are hurt, we do expect an apology. So David is right here. David is is right in taking the spear. Now we have this, we're going to call it an apology in verse number 21, but you don't believe it and I don't believe it. But that's what he's doing, right? And you and I cannot play God. I mean, let's just go ahead and get that out now. We, we, don't, we don't know the way God knows. We like to think that we do, but we don't. And so, verse, let's look, start in verse number 22. Let's read to the end of the chapter again, okay? And David answered, this is after this apology in quotations, David answered and said, you don't really mean it. No, that's not what he said. Behold the king's spear, and let one of the young men come over and fetch it. The Lord render to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee into my hand today, but I would not stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as the life was much set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, if you, did, if you thought verse 21 made your stomach upset, listen to this, verse 25. Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things and also shalt still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. Oh, God bless you. Thank you for giving my spear back. You are a good man. God bless you, David. I mean, you are just so godly and upright. I just thank you. And God's going to bless you for that, I promise you. Here's what I want us to notice, though. Have you, ever, have you ever read, started reading the next chapter, and you realize there's more? No, that's never happened. <laughs> of course we have, right? Of course we have. Don't lose me now. We've got a long way to go. Look at chapter 27, verse 1. In the end of verse chapter 26, David gives his spear back. Now, look what he says in chapter 27, verse 1. And David said, not out loud, but in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. How many think David was convinced Saul wouldn't use the spear again? In fact, he knew he probably would. I mean, we read starting in chapter 26, we see this apology that is all the right words, but I didn't believe the apology, and I asked you, and you didn't believe the apology, and If I'm asking David in chapter 27, verse 1, I'm saying he didn't believe the apology. And so we have this apology, we have this sorry, we even have this this praise of sort. You know, God bless you, David. You're such a great man and you're doing the right thing by giving me my sword back so that I could throw it at you later uh, one more time is pretty much what what he is saying. I want to look at these verses and this principle. And I want to preach on this subject tonight, because I think it's extremely important for family. The, the, what we're going to build this around is this title, Returning the Spear, the Fear of Forgiveness. You ever been afraid to forgive? I have. Certainly have. And the reason is this, spears hurt. Spears hurt. I could probably, I could probably ask some people here, and you probably, what's your, what's your name, young man? Josh. I'm gonna guess you have at least two people you don't want to have a spear. And if you two are in this room, please keep your hand down. Truth is, spears hurt. And I think it's important for us to establish this because David has this spear, but he goes to give it back to Saul. But I question the decision, quite honestly. I mean, if we're speaking humanly speaking, I don't want him to have the spear. 
The spear hurts. The spear has not been used properly. The spear has been used as a tool that was not in, that it was not intended, the way that it was not intended to be used. And so in this, I have the spear. I don't want to give it back. I would rather, quite honestly, I'd rather just keep a hold of it. Or, as one person told me when I was mentioning this, they would bend the end of it to make it a boomerang. That's about like Christians, isn't it? I'll do the right thing, but make sure it gets you, not me. The truth is, when it comes to forgiveness, we can fear being hurt again. And sometimes it's not our fear of being hurt. We also don't want to see somebody else hurt themselves. We don't want to see somebody we love get hurt. We don't want to see the individual get hurt. I certainly don't want hurt. And so if we're not careful, we'll take the spears of life that are thrown and and the things of life that are done that should not be done, and we'll just become spear collectors. And anything that can hurt me, I'll just take it away. And anything that can hurt them, I'll just take it away. And anything that can hurt somebody else, I'll just take it away. And if we're not careful, and I, I certainly don't want to overstep here, and if I say anything I shouldn't, always follow your pastor. But if we're not careful, even as parents, we take all the spears away from my children so that they can't hurt themselves, but they also cannot fight with you. And in our effort to protect, we end up just protecting all the spears of life. I want us to look at a few things about forgiveness that I find in this passage that have certainly helped me. The first one is this. Forgiveness does not require persuasion. Forgiveness does not require persuasion. In verse number 21, Saul says, I have sinned. Anybody here think David was persuaded by that? Not a chance. I wasn't persuaded. You weren't persuaded. According to chapter 27, David wasn't persuaded. Forgiveness does not require... This is extremely important because a lot of people think that if you don't believe they're sorry, then you don't accept their apology. Forgiveness does not require persuasion. I don't have to be persuaded that you mean it. I... I don't have to be persuaded that you're never going to do it again. Because there are some things in relationship that are between an individual and God, and then there are some things in a relationship that are between me and the individual. When there is the apology and there is this opportunity of forgiveness, the, the, the checklist of, am I going to forgive somebody? On that checklist is not, I am fully persuaded that they really mean it. I am fully persuaded that they will never do it again. So, until I am persuaded, and what we do is we put a burden on somebody else that says, not only do you have to have a right relationship with God, but you need to prove it to me. Well, if I can respectfully, who are you? Who are you? But a brother and sister in Christ, and even in the same family, whether we're talking church family or our blood family. Well, they just need to prove it to me. Really? So you're the decider now, huh? Truth is, we don't like to be hurt. And we don't like for other people to be hurt. Forgiveness does not require persuasion. Let's continue on. Not only does forgiveness does not require persuasion, forgiveness does not require trust. I don't have to trust the person to forgive them. Matter of fact, chapter 27, verse 1, I think we would all agree David didn't trust Saul. How many would agree with that? Let's do a crowd. How many would agree Saul did not, David did not trust Saul? How many agree with that? Absolutely. You know why you believe it? Because that's what the Bible tells us. I mean, he flat out tells him. He gives this spear back as he makes, Saul makes the apology, says some things that you and I would probably laugh at and say, yeah, right, prove it. That would be our human response, would it not? And so we have this human response, but then David, being a better man than I, and even holding his character and integrity through this, returns the spear, even though in his heart, as he returns the spear, he says, I shall now one day die by the hand of Saul. 
Here's what he's saying. Let me put it in our terms. This is going to come back to bite me. That's how David felt about it. But it didn't stop him from returning the spear. Now let's, don't raise your hands on this one, but let's just have a reality check. How many here are really ready to forgive if you don't, if you're not persuaded by the apology and you don't trust them? Because what you're going to find out is there are a lot of things in the spiritual life that go against the natural life. And the natural life says, I want to trust and I want to be persuaded. And here's the interesting thing. All of these things, we can put a spiritual twist on them. We can put a spiritual twist on, on, and, and I just want to make it clear, I am not talking about this principle ever violating or crossing other biblical, other biblical principles and practices, but I am saying we can't just collect spears because somebody hurt us and never offer forgiveness. And so we see it doesn't require persuasion. It doesn't require trust. What else do we see about forgiveness? I want us to notice, number three, forgiveness is allowing God to be in control. I'm going to say that again. Forgiveness is not you feeling like the person has everything under control. Forgiveness is letting God be in control. Look at these verses with me. Look at verse number 23. David says, here's your spear after the apology in verse 22. Verse 23, the Lord render to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee into my hand today, but I would not stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, verse 24, as thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord and let him Deliver me out of all tribulation. Here's how we treat forgiveness. I want you, I want to feel like you're never going to do it again because I want you to deliver me from that possible tribulation. Because if I'm persuaded you'll not hurt me again, then I feel better. If I trust you're not going to hurt me again, then I feel better. I think of my relationship with my parents. I've got great parents. I talk about them everywhere I go. I love my dad. Been a great servant of the Lord for years. But you live with somebody. If I desired, and every second generation Christian here could, if you desired, you could highlight the bad days, the wrong decision, and the negatives of your Christian parents, and you could live off of those. And you could go your whole life talking about how miserable it was and how your parents were uh, judgmental or critical or, or whatever the case may be. They didn't parent right and they lived one way. If you live in someone's house, you're going to see their weaknesses. You're going to see them when they're angry and you're going to see them when they're frustrated and you're going to see them when they're tired and, and you can hold all those things against them or you can realize that we all are going to have these moments, but it doesn't change the good that is there. It doesn't change the positive that is there. Forgiveness allows God or puts the trust in God's control. It allows God to be in control. There are some that would say, well, I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to return your spear. I mean, I'll, for, I'll forgive you, but, you know, it reminds me of the uh, little boy that went over to a friend's house and the mother was making um, buttered broccoli. That was the vegetable for lunch. And so she was making that. She asked the boy, she said, do you, do you like buttered broccoli? And the boy said, oh, I love buttered broccoli. She's like, oh, great, you know. And, and so they, she made it for lunch. She served it. Well, the boy didn't take any. And so she said, I thought you said you loved buttered broccoli. And he said, oh, I do, just not enough to eat it. <laughs> I think sometimes that's the way we approach forgiveness. Well, I do forgive, but I'm not about to give them the spear back. Yes, I forgive them, but, but I'm not ever going to risk being hurt again. Because returning a spear is a risk. Returning a spear accepts the possibilities. It is possible for this person to hurt me again. And you are absolutely right. 
Isn't it what means so much to our Lord when we, by our own free will, love Him and follow Him? I mean, isn't it part of our daily choice to say, Lord, I want You? I want to please You. I hope we want to please the Lord. I hope we want Him to be satisfied within our life. And so, forgiveness is allowing God to be in control. Fourth thing, forgiveness returns the spear. Forgiveness returns the spear. Well, the spear might cause harm. Absolutely. Well, the spear might create problems. Most definitely. The spear is dangerous. Yes, it is. Well, if I return the spear, isn't, aren't I taking a risk here? Yes, you are. Am I giving away control where they might be able to do harm? Yes, you are. Absolutely. And can I say every time God forgives you, there is a risk of you hurting Him again. There is a risk in that. There is a knowledge. There is an accepted possibility. Let me, let's just put this down to practical terms in a home. Because we recognize a spear is sharp, a spear hurts, and we don't want them thrown at us. Let's put it into how it's, this is practiced, this principle. There are many relationships husband-wife relationship, that the first year of marriage, the husband made a difficult or a bad, let's just call it what it is, a bad financial decision and got them in trouble. Maybe the electricity was turned off. And here you have a young lady just newly married and having to struggle between, she doesn't want her parents to know this man who said, I do, didn't pay the electric bill. So here she's struggling and he is struggling and it's just a, it was just a bad decision. Just There's no way around it. It was a bad decision. You know how many relationships, something similar to that happened and 20 years later she's still the one that does the finances? Now I don't mind, I don't care who does the finances. But if we're not careful, it's the result of they hurt me one time a long time ago and I don't want to give it back. I don't want to return it. I'm just going to take that spear and, and I'm going to hold against you that mistake and I'm going to hold against you that bad decision and I'm just going to take that spear away so that you don't hurt me again. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to go through that. I don't want the embarrassment. I don't want to tell family. I don't want to go through this. So I am taking this away. Can I say, in a marriage, you must return the spear. And I'm not talking about this one little example of the finances. I'm talking about whatever spear you have taken in your marriage. You can't just gather spears so that the other person doesn't hurt you. Well, they did this, and so I'm going to take that away. And you did this, so let's just take that away. And you used this in a wrong way, so we're just going to take that away. And, and you hurt my family with this, so we're going to take that. And we become spear collectors in our marriage. Now, let me ask you, which is better? For husband and wife both to be armed with the weapons that God has given them and fighting together for the same cause or for a husband or wife to have all the spears trying to balance everything. But a lot of marriages are off balance because one person is trying to fight the war for both of you. One person is holding against because there was a bad decision. The Bible does still tell us that the two become one. And the Bible does still tell us to, to uh, submit ourselves one to another. There's a relationship that is there. And perhaps the greatest biblical example of the two becoming one is Job. When God told Satan that he could touch anything, but he could not touch his servant Job, there was one other person he didn't touch. And it was his wife, because the two become one. He could have his children, but he couldn't touch his wife. I think we would all agree in a marriage it's best if we fight together. We understand that, yes, you have hurt. If you, my wife and I are celebrating 20 years in June. And Lord's blessed us with a great family, and we've adopted two in the last few weeks, and Lord's just blessed us above and beyond, and we're so grateful. But in 20 years, I am sure that I have done things that have hurt my family. Not intentionally, but I've made some bad decisions. I've done some things that were not best. 
And my wife, she's perfect. She's never made any mistakes because this is on live stream and that's the way we're leaving it. You know, I've made some mistakes with my children. My children have made some mistakes towards me and towards their mother. But if all we do is start pulling away these things that have hurt us and say, no, I'm going to hold these pieces. I don't want hurt again. Boy, we're missing out on such wonderful opportunities. Not only in a marriage do we see that a spear ought to be returned and uh, spears are thrown in a marriage, but also spears can be thrown by our children. Let me give us some examples of this. Don't let your children's mistakes haunt them as you keep everything away from them. If you let your children go over to somebody's house, eventually they're going to do something you don't like. You let your children have a computer, laptop, whatever, for school's sake or whatever, eventually they're going to spend time on it you don't want. Your children grow up, they have a vehicle, eventually they're going to go faster than what you want them to. Your children have a phone, they're going to spend time on it that you don't want. But if we're not careful as parents, we just start gathering all the spears. And we never entrust them to make any decisions on their own. Because this can be hurtful, so I'm just going to keep it away. And this can be hurtful, so I'm just going to keep it away. And this can be harmful, so I'll just keep that away. And this could hurt you, so I'm going to keep that. And this could hurt me, so I'm going to keep that. And we just become spear collectors as parents. And then our children reach a point where they wonder how, why I'm having to walk this balance beam and, and I'm not trusted with anything. And listen, when you, when you give the spears, it is a risk. And spears without boundaries would be foolish. I mean, David returned the spear, but he didn't go hang out with him that night. You know, he knew there was, he forgave and he understood that and he allowed him to have his place and he allowed him to have his purpose and to be where God wanted him to be. And there are times with our children, and I want to say this, David was right in taking the spear, but he was also right in returning it. There are times as parents we need to take the spears. There are times as parents we need to take things away. But it doesn't mean we hold them forever. We reach a point where we let them know the danger. As I return this to you, let's just use cell phones, that's kind of our world. As I return this phone to you, this can be used to hurt you. This can be dangerous. This can be used to hurt those that you love and to hurt the cause of Christ. This can be used in the wrong way. And we try to express that to them. But what a wonderful thing it is when a child has responsibility and uses it in the right way. How wonderful it is when a child comes and there was temptation to do wrong, but they stood their ground and did what was right. But if we're not careful as parents, we steal the temptation opportunities. We never put them in a place knowing, but eventually that time comes. And how rewarding and satisfying it is when they say, I did what was right. But that means they have to have the opportunity to also do what is wrong. This is a difficult concept and a difficult principle. Spears can be thrown by our children. How about when spears are thrown by our parents? You know how many people are bitter towards their parents from things that happened years ago? You have to return the spear. You must return the spear. Especially if you're still in home. Because that is the God-given authority for you. And if you take that bad decision and that mistake, even if you feel it could happen again, you return the spear saying, you are the authority that God has placed in my life, and I'm not going to just hold this from you, but I'm going to trust God's plan. I'm going to put it in God's control. As children, we have to return the spears to our parents. There's opportunities, and I would never go into detail, but there would be opportunities between my dad and I's relationship. To hold those spears and never give them back. Let's move on. This is a fun one. 
When spears are thrown by your spiritual leader, you have to give them back. Brother Tommy's been here, what, 10, 11 years, somewhere around there? Just had 10-year anniversary, actually. Today is our 11-year anniversary at church, and I'm spending it with you. Isn't that wonderful? Either wonderful or a bad decision, one of the two. I'm honored to be here. But you know, in the years that your pastor has been pastoring, he's probably said some things that hurt somebody. There's no probably to it. We just say enough things that we do. Unintentionally. There are times when we say something, but we don't say it the right way. I mean, it's interesting how being out here, we listen everything for everything up there, and we can be so critical of it, and so we can watch it so close. But when you're the one up here, there's so much on your heart and in your mind from study, and you have these people that you love, and the people you're trying to guide down the path that God has for them. And every now and then we say something that we shouldn't say, or we say it in the wrong way, or maybe you just catch us off, and and maybe we don't say anything to you, and we should have. Maybe we missed your birthday. I've had people complain about that. We didn't tell them happy birthday, or they didn't shake my hand, or they didn't notice our anniversary, or I came back from the hospital and he didn't even say welcome back. He didn't even tell anybody I was back. Whatever the case may be, but we become spear collectors. That church hurt me, so I'm not going. Why? Because I don't want to risk being hurt. He didn't visit me last time I was in the hospital, so I'm not even telling him this time. Well, that'll teach him. (laughs) But that's what we do. He didn't call me, so I'm not even giving a prayer. You know what? I gave a prayer request three weeks in a row, and you never mentioned that prayer request, so I'm just not going to give it anymore. And if you think these are far-fetched things, this is reality. And what happens is we just become spear collectors. I don't want to be hurt by that, so I'm just not going to go there. I'm, I'm not going to trust Him. Well, how would every church be if every person who had been hurt by the pastor or by his words or by his wife or by one of his eight children or whatever the case may be, your child says something to my child, this is real world stuff here, this person said this, and, and I don't like them hanging, I mean, it's bad when... You know, you have to say, I don't want you hanging around so-and-so, and and you go to the same church together. That's a difficult thing. And it gets taken the wrong way, and it's expressed the wrong way. And so we just don't let them do this, and we don't let them do that. And I'm not going to tell the pastor this, and, and we just become spear collectors. Why? Because I don't want hurt. I don't want hurt. I don't want disappointed. Well, can I say, if a church is going to go forward, you have to return the spear. You've got to return the spear. You have got to say, I know that was not intentional, or it may have been intentional, but he doesn't even know. Most of the time when pastors offend people, they don't even know. Till a year later, somebody says, well, you know, last time I was in the hospital, you didn't come visit me. And he says, I didn't even know you were in the hospital. And even if he did, did you? I, I know this is probably way stretched. He may have been busy. That happens. It happens. What's interesting is sometimes we accept for ourselves we're too busy to do this, to go to this outreach or to go to this service or to be involved in this activity. We know we can be busy, but we don't accept that the pastor's family can be busy. They can be busy too. And so we must reach a point where we return the spears to the pastor. Now, here's the flip side of this. I'm not going to preach this, but I mention it because I know what happens here. The pastor also has to return spears to church members. This is a hard thing to do. A pastor doesn't want hurt. A pastor doesn't want his family to be hurt. A pastor doesn't want his wife to be hurt. A pastor doesn't want his children. A pastor doesn't want this family to be hurt. But there are times as a pastor, you have to make the decision, we're going to return the spear. Well, you know, this person, every time, and boy, we have not, if I'm getting on something, I apologize. I'm just thinking of my own church here. Every time I put sister so-and-so in charge of something, there's just drama. I mean, there's just, and so... I think I'm just not going to put them in charge of anything anymore. That's our, that's our mindset. 
That's our tendency. By the way, it's not just the pastor. This can be a Sunday school teacher. This can be a music director. This can be every time I use this person, there's something I don't like. And so I'm just not going to use them. Well, how I would say this. We asked the question, how would a church be that didn't give the pastor the spear? How would a church be if the pastor didn't return any spears? And he didn't trust anybody that said anything out of line or hurt him or, or dropped the obligation or whatever the case may be or disappointed. If the pastor just holds the spears of those that hurt us, what a miserable life. A miserable life that that would be. We must return the spears in a congregation. The spiritual leader has to and the congregation has to. Now let me give you another one. Just because we're with family and our little line for our church is a, a church family for your family. And I think a church is a family. I, well, we know that scripturally it's a family, but also there's just something about this place. I mean, there's something about these people that you play the instruments with and you practice and you sing together and you worship together and you grow together through the messages and, and lessons, whatever the case may be. I mean, you're in this together. And for a lot of people, people will say the church family is closer to me than my own family because that's what this becomes. And by God's design, it's a family. That means this. Spears not only have to be returned from a congregation to a pastor and from a pastor to a congregation, but spears have to be returned one amongst another. Well, I don't want hurt. Who does? Well, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want my family hurt. Well, of course you don't. I mean, I don't think anybody would say David wanted to be hurt. That's not why he returned the spear. He returned the spear because he said, God is in control of this. There's the apology. There's Everything seems to be in order. I don't really, I'm not persuaded. I don't trust really. I really don't know what's going to happen. In fact, in his heart, he even said, I'm going to die by this guy. He's going to do this again. But yet David returns the spear and he says, the Lord judge. The Lord judge. Can I say by experience, these are hard things to do between husband and wife. This is hard to do with parents and children. It's hard to do this as a pastor to a church and as a church to a pastor. And it's hard to do this as a church family. But here's the picture. As a father, I can look down the row at my family and I can have all their spears in my hand trying to fight for all of them. Or, I can look down, the, down my family and see each of them holding their own spears, fighting the same battle moving forward. As a church family, I can either stand as a pastor with all of these spears trying to fight for everybody. Or I can look at our church and say, we all have our spears. And yes, they can be used the wrong way. And yes, they can hurt And yes, they can cause harm, but if we will all do what we are supposed to do and fight the same fight, what a difference we can make. Wouldn't it be great as Liberty Baptist Church, not just to stand and look at a pastor who's fighting, but to look across the pew at one another and say, we are fighting the same fight. And this person has a spear. I'm not sure how they're going to use it. In fact, I'm going to keep my eye on them. But I'm not going to take the spear. Because when they choose, think of this, when they choose to fight the right enemy, what a great victory that is. And when they choose to stand shoulder to shoulder, we would say with a trowel in one hand and the sword in another, fighting the fight and building what God wants us to build, what a wonderful picture that is. And I want to close with this. Carrying spears can be pretty exhausting. It can wear you out. Don't trust this person. and Don't let this person do anything. And I need to be fully persuaded of this person. I would guess, Miss Cassandra, I would never put you on the spot like this. Because it would come back to haunt me. Pastor's wives, are there's something to them. You know, God love them. And, but you don't want to be on their bad side. I'm going to guess. She said, yes. I'm going to guess, Ms. Cassandra, if I were to ask, is there anybody in all these instruments that you 
fear they might mess up? The answer is probably yes. But it doesn't mean you take the instrument away. It doesn't mean. Let me give you a biblical New Testament example of this. The woman at the well. Jesus comes to her and says, you know, he introduces himself, says, I'm the living water. And, and she says, you know, I'm not married. And he said, you're right. You know, you've been in several relationships. Jesus did not say, now never go back to that town again. In fact, he actually just said, now go and sin no more. You know what he did? He gave them responsibility. He gave her responsibility. He didn't say, you sinned here, so I'm going to take all of that away from you and, and move you over here and so that you're never tempted to sin again. Jesus knew that was not a, even a possible thought, to never to be tempted to sin again. And so instead he says, I forgive you. Now go do what's right. Go do what's right. And this is the challenge to all of us. One, we have been given the spear back. If, if God chose, and I'm, I'm prolonging here and I apologize, if God chose to tell you, I don't think you're fit to serve me anymore, no matter who in here he told that, we would have to say, you're right. You're right. Which means this, if any of us are serving, it's because God has given us our spear. And if anybody else is going to serve alongside you, you're going to have to return the spear. It's not easy. It's not fun. But it is necessary if we're going to win this battle and this fight. I'm going to turn it over to you, preacher. Lord, we thank you just for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love. I'm so grateful just that you have, through my mistakes, you have shown your love and your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness. And through my bad decisions, I have a family that has loved me and has returned the spear to me. And I think of church members that have chosen to return the spear, the thing that I used to hurt them. I'm sure they weren't fully persuaded or trust, but they put it in your hands, Lord. And I think of the people that have proven to make the right decisions that I have in my own life given this chance and, and put myself in this position. And Lord, I thank you for the joy of seeing them serve. We give you all the honor and all the glory. And in Jesus' name, amen.